Good morning. Listen, if you have your scriptures, we are going to be in Zechariah tonight, to this morning. What time of day is it? Yeah. We're going to be there uh, looking at uh, the, the prophecy that Zechariah brought. Now, if you look at chapters 9 and 10 and 11 of Zechariah, you see an oracle or a burden that Zechariah brought, and it was all about the first coming of Jesus. And if you look now at chapter 12, 13, and 14, and we're in chapter 13 today, right in the heart of that, this oracle, this burden is all about the second coming of Jesus, and especially the second coming of Jesus, and what we can expect to see in this world, in Jerusalem, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So it's a specific group of people that are in view here. And we already looked in chapter 12, and in chapter 12, it was all about like the external stuff that God's doing. He, uh, they, they're surrounded by armies, but God protects them. And in chapter 13, and the end of 12 and 13, we see this like pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So not only is there going to be these external realities and works that God does to protect them physically, there's also going to be a radical change of heart that happens in his people who have been identified by this one identifying principle for 2,000 years. No Jesus. No Jesus. Not K-N-O-W, but N-O, Jesus. We are identified by this. We tacitly together, all of us agree, Jesus is not the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. And what we're going to see here today is there's going to be a, a, a revival in Jerusalem and in the inhabitants of, people, of, of the area of Jerusalem. It's profound and amazing. And so we're going to try to answer the questions today, like, why are we studying this? What do we get from this? How does this impact our life as we think about world events and headlines? But what we want to do now is read Zechariah 13. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 6, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll be off and running after that. Zechariah 13. On that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put a hairy cloak he will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet. I'm a worker of the soil. For a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks, what are those wounds on your back? He will say, 
the wounds I received in the house of my friends. And so, Lord, we're praying that you would add insight. As we often say, Lord, we're not here for anybody's opinion. We're here to study your word and to know the living God. Would you come and, and grace us? Would you come and give us a foretaste of that day? When we will stand before Jesus and see him as he is, and we will cast our crowns at his feet and we will worship him. We praise you for the, the, the stalwart strength, the never moving foundation that is your word. And we cling to you and cling to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The headlines that we have seen this week are, are pretty crazy. And the reality is that prophecy helps us make sense of headlines. Prophecy speaks into us because prophecy tells us what's going on in the world. And sometimes we get a little nuts with it, like we're overly connected and we try to answer questions that the text doesn't answer, but we, uh, we go too far. But the reality is that the word does indeed comfort us and help us. So the, pro, the headlines that I read this week, Hamas is going to respond to calls for their response to the hostage deal that's placed before them. And in the next 52 minutes, we should expect news on what Hamas intends to do as the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, have uh, called them to respond. Israeli Defense Forces destroy North Gaza tunnel as fighting as fighting continues. U.S. forces shot down uh, Houthi drones over the Red Sea on Friday. And for instance, U.S. launches airstrikes in Iran in the last 48 hours. And if we're not careful, we could read these headlines and we could be like, now, what, what am I supposed to do with this? There's a lot of angst and crazy in the world. And as we read those headlines, we're reminded that those are just the international headlines. You have got uh, national headlines. We've got national headlines that we're dealing with. And we've got local headlines that we're dealing with. And the truth of the matter is you have personal headlines in your world as well. People I talked to this week lost the job. Don't know what I'm going to do. I, I know the Lord's good and he's going to bring me through it. But if, but if my headlines were out there, it would be headlines of trouble and turmoil today. Headline in your life might be a medical challenge that you're dealing with. And we heard of those this week in the, in the office. People bringing real need, bad news. What are we going to do? This is troubling to my soul kind of news. And prophecy comes alongside to give us hope. Like the things that are happening in this world today are not random things, and they are not necessarily problems for all of us to bind our hearts together and try to fix them. A lot of the issues in the world, you're not going to fix. And if you look at our text today, we see chapter 13, verse 2, and on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off 
So prophecy reminds us that the hardships and difficulty in this world and the things that will be set right are things that God is going to do. He's involved. And that gives us great hope. If there's trouble languishing and continuing and hanging on in this world, we can say something for for sure, and that's this. God's not done yet. Because we read this description of what God is doing here. So all of these challenges and twists and and difficulties, Zechariah, whereas God, the living king and creator of all things, who stretched out the heavens and uh, breathed life into mankind, that God is involved in the national, the international, the local, and your personal headlines. He is bringing all things to an intended, appropriate, righteous, beautiful end. So prophecy is a gift to you and me. It's a reminder, you can't fix everything. So what are you called to do is to take Matthew 6 as we introduce where we're going with this and, and, and pull this into your heart and mind. If a sparrow falls, God knows it. You're way more valuable than a sparrow. And so what should we do? Well, don't worry about tomorrow. Prophecy reminds us that God is taking care of future events according to his uh, immovable will and his personal involvement. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's going to bring those things about, and you don't have to focus on tomorrow. In fact, Matthew 6 says, worry about today. Your role in all of these things is seek first the kingdom of God where you are at. Be faithful to the call that God has placed on your life. It's not that we don't care about Israel or Ukraine. It's not that we're disinterested. It's not that we're washing our hands. It's that God has called his people all over the world to believe him today and You and I know that you and I are not going to fix what's going on in the world, but we can be a part of what God's doing here in Sheboygan, here in Wisconsin, and even as we send, as we've just talked about, missionaries around the world. So in prophecy, God tells us wonderful things. If bad things, hard things are happening, we know this, he's not done yet. He tells us what he's up to and what he's going to accomplish, what you can expect him to do. You can carry on with your task locally because God's got the globe. You can sleep tonight reading the headlines. You can sleep tonight because in Jesus Christ, God is setting all things in order and his plan and his intentions where he's bringing us is both certain and therefore unstoppable. And so that's where we are here as we consider why are we, why are we studying prophecy? We're studying prophecy because God's speaking to us so that we will live with hope that he's at work in this world. When the Lord cleanses his house, we're now kind of into the, the, the first point here of where we're, what we're going to study today. When the Lord cleanses his house on that day, every eye will see pure worship. Zechariah 13, verse 2. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. 
So this is going to happen in Jerusalem. We could look up in chapter 12 and see that that's where he's talking about. He's talking about the Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God will cut off the idols. Now you're tracking with me, right? That the very first commandment was a commandment about idolatry. <laughs> look, do not have any God before me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord, Yahweh, is the only living God. And you and I can go back to that story, right? So the living God is up on the mountain with Moses revealing who he is and his intention and these 10 commandments. And down in the valley at that time, the people have all brought their gold together and said to Aaron, make us an idol. Make us an idol. And so while Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, the living king making himself known, the people are down in the valley, breaking the commandment. From the beginning of time to the end, uh, worshiping a false god or a substitute god will destroy our lives. The second commandment is not unlike it. Do not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's supposed to represent me. Do not bow down and serve a carved image. And again, that's exactly what they're doing. When we have a carved image in our hand, we believe that we can um, harness God to do what we want. We believe that we can manipulate we, we believe then we can feel his nearness, and that's what this idolatry is all about. But at the end of the day, here's what we're doing. God, your word, your presence, your way, it's insufficient for us. We want something we can see and touch and visit. We want a substitute for you. And idolatry, of course, from the beginning, is prohibited. We could go through the Old Testament and look at Baal worship. We could look at the way that they worshiped and, and worshiped the, the gods of the surrounding communities, Molech, and, and the sin that the Israelites participated in with that. We can go to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, Paul was, was already teaching the new church, like, hey, we, we realize you're going to worship the Lord, but look at the insidious things that can come in and be a part of the congregation if we're not careful. And so he, in a metaphorical way, he's saying idols aren't just purposeful false gods where we reject the living God and we turn to the golden calf. They also come into our life when we are unaware and not attending our hearts. Colosh, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter five, verses three through five. But sexual immorality and all impurity Covetousness must not be named among you. In fact, it says it, not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. It's insidious. Little things, we don't count as big things. The way we talk, crude humor, which are out of place. But instead, use your words for thanksgiving. Verse 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, I want what you have. 
That's what covetousness is. I want what they have. And if we settle in wanting the life that someone else has in our hearts saying, God has not given me what I want, the, the parentheses in Ephesians 5 says, let there be no covetousness. That is, if you do that, you're an idolater who has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, lest we think that's a one-off. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I want what you have, which is idolatry, it says in Colossians. So idolatry is anything which may even be a good thing which rises to the level of being the most important thing in our lives and pushes God off of his place of sovereign, of king, of our hearts and our life. An idol might be an unconscious, or excuse me, a conscious highest value. I know I'm rejecting him. And it might be an unconscious highest pursuit of my heart when good things become ultimate things. But in that day, this, this passage says, when the Lord cleanses his house, those idols, wherever they are, look at verse two, and on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they will be remembered no more. Man, that is a promise. Can I just tell you about the grace of God? You remember the sin that you that you uh, participated in when you were young and you know that Christ has forgiven you of that. But when you get to the point in your life when you were so fixed on Christ and you so receive his hope and you so uh, walk with him daily that you don't even remember the temptations of yesterday. And that's what this says. He's going to make it so in Israel that they won't even be able to name the idols that they used to serve where we see idolatry, where Christ is not exalted, where he's not worshiped and treasured and loved. Listen, here's what we can say for sure with hope. God's at work in that, in that place. A day is coming when Christ will be exalted even in Jerusalem. Number two, not only uh, when we see the, the way the Lord's gonna cleanse his house, the house of David, we see in verse one there. And on that day, every eye will also see true Repentance. You see that in verse 2? So they shall be remembered no more. And also, I will remove from the land the prophets. We're going to talk about the prophets extensively in a couple minutes. We're going to cruise over that for a second. I will remove the land, the prophets, and the spirit of uncleanness. Now, if your finger is on the end of verse 2, spirit of uncleanness, I would encourage you to kind of put your finger... Um, on verse 1 of chapter 13. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from the sin and uncleanness. When there are false idols in the world, it always leads to moral laxity. We go our own way. So idols produce loose living in we don't care much then about what, who God is and what he wants for our life. Or we make excuses for why we fall short and we fall into these habits of, you know, good enough kinds of living. If 
you go back up to chapter 12 and verse 10, take a look at this. Because again, my finger is still on chapter 13, verse two, the last phrase, the spirit of uncleanness, which is gonna be removed or cleaned in the land on that day. Chapter 12, verse 10, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. And so here is the picture, is that though we walk, though they walk in a spirit of uncleanness, God in that day will pour out a spirit of grace. And those two phrases are meant to have attention with one another. The way they're living is unclean, and yet the spirit, the Holy Spirit that he pours out in that day is a spirit of grace. And you'll hear from the mouths of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, please, cries, O living king, have mercy, have mercy on us. And so God is gonna take care. Now listen, if you would pull our friends who are Jewish in to this service and say to them, you know what we're looking for? Here's what we're gonna look for. A people who have been identified for 2,000 years by one concept. Whatever you do, reject Jesus. We don't believe he is the promised one from the scriptures. And now our faith is built on the Older Testament, but we see the Older Testament as not making room for Jesus at all. And if we told them, you know what we're looking for this day when this prophecy comes true, when God is going to pour out his spirit on you all in such a way that all of you, and that's what Revelation says, all of you are going to turn to Jesus as your Messiah. And they would say, impossible. Can I just tell you that's what God's in the business of doing? is setting up prophecies about the future that are impossible, that are unstoppable in his hand. And so we should be looking. We should be watching. We should be watching for this true repentance and the spirit of uncleanness in the land is gonna give way to this, the spirit of grace and cries for mercy from the very people who have said no to him for 2,000 years, maybe longer, depends on how long till the end, right? How long till the, um, on that day when that comes about. But on that day, David's house will be cleaned. He will turn, repent to Yahweh alone for help. And it's God who does this. This is a complete act of grace in his life. Man, that is gonna be a beautiful day. Many people watching in the world are gonna see this happen and go, okay, if, if God can do that, we need to know more about that God. This prophecy, humanly impossible, and yet watch the news. Watch the news. God will work all the hard, all the bad, all the wrestling, all the warring, all the groaning, all the natural disasters. If all of those things are still happening, we know we're not to uh, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 2 yet. Because that day is coming when they're all going to turn to the Lord. All of the trouble will be made right. But that's not all. 
and we get to our third point. And I know some of you are like, third point, all right. Good. That's good news, right? Don't worry, the third point's the longest point. We'll still be here for a little while. When the Lord cleanses his house on that day, every eye will see humble devotion. And we see that in really 2B all the way down through the end, the last four or five verses there, okay? And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols. They'll, they'll be forgotten. And also, I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. Well, who are these prophets? The whole rest of this passage speaks of the, the substitutes that will stand for the prophets who have been sent by God. The prophets who have been sent by God, Zechariah, for example, is, is one of those prophets. A prophet, if you look at the definition of the word, one who speaks for God. Prophet speaks for God. Speaks in the name of God. And you didn't get to be a prophet by sort of random happenstance. You know, we have people who are teachers in the U.S. today, and they got there through being very winsome sometimes, being super charismatic, being good public speakers, saying things we want to hear, and now maybe they have social media platforms and opportunities to speak that have been manufactured. Prophets, not so. If you turn back to Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 1, the way that prophets were sent in the Old Testament was this. In the eighth month, Zechariah 1.1, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. And if you want to go down to verse 7, I'll go down to verse 7 and read that too. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. This is how prophets were sent. God himself visited them with an authoritative message for the day. And they were sent in his name. It was a supernatural sending and an authoritative exhortation. And mostly what the prophets would be doing is saying, guys, remember what God has already said. Prophets, if they spoke anything that wasn't from the scriptures or from the, from the, uh, the law or from the, the word, uh, they would be rejected and worse. In fact, you, you can tell even in this passage, they'd be put to death. They have to speak in accordance with the name of the Lord, and that meant they had to speak what was already revealed. Sometimes we think of prophets as future tellers. It's not what a prophet is, typically. A prophet knows the word and speaks for God in the midst of the people and says, friends, Remember what God has said. Remember that he has made a covenant with us. Remember that he told us we should take him seriously. Remember that there were stipulations to the covenant. God will do this and this and this, and we as his people must do that and that. 
God sees us and takes this seriously. And if we don't do this and that, he told us that there was going to be years of discipline and trouble, that we would be kicked out of the land, that we would be sent on crazy disciplined situations in our world. And the prophets would stand and say, guys, God's serious. Take him seriously. And so there will be false prophets who weasel their way in and take a place of prominence. And the scriptures say that we'll even lead some astray. If we would turn over to what what is the kind of longest and most specific um, treatment of uh, false prophets in the Old Testament, we'd be turning back over to Jeremiah 23. And we see some characteristics of false prophets if we would turn there. Characteristic number one, Jeremiah 23, 14, but in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. Characteristic number one of false prophets in that day and in this day, immoral living. They're going to speak a message that, that could generally somehow be tied back to the scriptures, but they themselves are going to wander from that message and live how they want to live. And we should watch for that. That's going to happen. Immoral lives. They commit adultery and walk in lies. Look down now at Jeremiah 23, verse 17 more truths about these false prophets. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. And you see what the false prophets do? They say, peace, 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 peace. When there is no peace. They say, listen, I know what God says about him holding us responsible and about him coming to judge. But listen, now here's one of the, here's one of the ways, the, the venerations, the, the false idols. One of them is this idea of Israeli or Jewish sovereignty that can even become a God for them, Zionism. And what we mean to say there is to say, look, the message is, if you are part of the covenant community, if you are part of the Jewish people, if you are part of the Jewish faith, you don't have to worry about anything. Live however you want. Go follow your heart. You're safe if you're Jewish. And by the way, parentheses, don't think that that's very far from the church. But there is this peace. Look, you're one of us. You're here. You've got nothing to worry about. In fact, if you look further at Jeremiah 23, 17, my, I am just amazed by the specific and the reality of the, the, the current application of this truth. It shall be well with you to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come to you. Can I just tell you, if you have a friend who tells you to follow your heart, trust your heart, listen to your heart, it's a demonic message. My heart is wicked. 
deceitful. My heart leads me to venerate myself. And can I just tell you that some of the books that you'll find in a Christian bookstore will tell you to follow your heart. Some of the podcasts which you'll find when you look for Christian podcasts will tell you, follow your heart. False prophets can be identified in Jeremiah chapter 23 by telling a whole generation of people, follow your heart. No evil will come of you. And we are here to tell you, wrestle your heart into submission as you follow the teachings of the word of God and hold to Jesus with all of your heart and mind and soul. As you uh, put to death the desires of your heart and do not follow them. They speak lies in the name of the Lord. They live immoral lives. They say, peace, peace. Look at chapter 23, Jeremiah 23, 25. They'll say, hey, listen, I, I, um, I have a dream. I have a dream. And the dream is like inspired by the Bible. So um, let me put it alongside the Bible and uh, the scriptures. And uh, why don't you follow my dream with me? 23, 25. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. And that's gonna be true of the false prophets. I have an opinion. What about my experiences? I'm going off record here, off scripture here, but trust me, right? And then if we would look and we had further time, we would look at Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, it says another thing that will be true about these false prophets is that they will uh, verify their message with acts of power and strength. And in the last days in particular, obviously Matthew 24, for those of you who don't know, that's the Olivet Discourse. That's where the, the disciples say, what should we be looking for? And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you specifics, but these are the signs of the end. One of the signs of the end is this. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if it were possible, even the elect. And so that brings a beautiful encouragement to our hearts. The elect will not be led astray. But it's not because you're so smart. It's certainly not because I'm so smart. It's because of the grace of God holding us, teaching us, helping us to see the truth. And that these acts of power and miraculous signs, all of us need to be able to see these signs which would, for the watching world, verify the message of a false prophet. And you and I look at those signs and say, okay, but what is he say, what is she saying about Jesus? Jesus is the key. Who is he? What will he do? When will he return? Is he here? And what we're saying here is Zechariah 13 is characterized by these false prophets that are going to be removed from the land. They're going to be removed. Now, we have this hypothetical situation. I say it's hypothetical because if you look at um, chapter 13, verse 3, and if anyone again prophesies, and that day... Jesus returns, he cleanses Jerusalem from all of the idols. 
He cleanses Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from moral uh, struggle, from from moral uh, uncleanness. And if anyone does again prophesy, which by that word, if, we're we're looking at going on, it's unlikely that there's going to be false prophets in that day. And you're right about that. But if they would prophesy, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, you shall not live for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. That word pierce there, if you go back again to chapter 12 and verse 10, uh, you see see, um, the realities of the the Jews looking on the one that they have pierced. So I'm going to read that verse. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, chapter 12, verse 10, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, that's the same word. They look on me whom they have pierced. That's a direct reference to Jesus. The Jewish people, culpable in putting him to death, they will look on him and they will realize what they've done. And they will repent. They shall mourn over. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly. 13 verse 4, on that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. So you're going to see these people, are not, they're not out there with their prophecies anymore. They're, they're ashamed. The people, there's such a movement, such a, such a revival in Jerusalem that they don't even have like an audience for their prophecies even more, anymore. He will uh, not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive. These false prophets even tried to look the part. They tried to dress up like the true prophets of Israel to get, a, to get an audience But he will say, I'm no prophet. I'm a worker of the soil. For a man sold me in my youth. And so willing to humble themselves, they will say, I'm not a venerated prophet that everyone listens to. I'm a slave who just works the land. Pay no attention to me. Pay no attention to me. Pay no attention to me. And then in verse six, and if one asks, what are the wounds on your back? And the concept there is that the false prophets would go and they would they would flail themselves and hurt themselves and they would bleed and they would wear those marks of being this prophet as sort of a a trophy for all to observe. And when they're asked about that, they'll say, no, no, that wasn't from my days of being a false prophet. Just that happened when I fell down at my friend's house. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Well, what Christ is going to do at the end of time when he returns is he is going to bring about an amazing revival in Jerusalem where, yes, there will be wars and there will be trouble and there will be loss of human life, but the remarkable thing is, in mass, all of them will come and come and and worship Yahweh, receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will turn to him morally, they will take down all of the idols and all the false prophets will be out of work as they believe and trust the word of God. So what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? Here's the application for those growing Christians, for those that are growing. Number one, study God's word. Know the word. 
the elders and the pastors at this church are honored and humbled to have the role of studying the word to make sure we stay under the authority of scripture. But can I tell you, in this age of social platforms and influencers, podcasts and Christian publishers that are trying to make dollars more than they're trying to tell us who Jesus is. Now listen, when we take a step back from that, there are wonderful Christian publishers that want to teach the word of God to us. I do not mean to impugn all publishers, but I'm telling you, this day and age, we cannot trust everyone who comes in the name of the Lord to tell us something about the kingdom of God. Don't trust them. Don't trust them all. Here in this place, I, I believe what we want to do is we want to stay humble. We want to stay encouraging one another. We want to stay close to the scripture. In this place, we have accountability. We have weekly connection with one another. You know each other's lives. You know what's going on. You can check if there's immorality. You can check if there's pride. You can check if there is a, a, a moving away from the scriptures. But listen, Matthew 24, 24 says that false Christ will arrive. First John tells us that they will arrive, they will arise from the church. These are not going to be people that come in and try to break down a door. They're going to be people that come up from our ranks. And we've got to be aware of the danger. And that means we are studying the word. We are going back time and time again. We are comparing one passage with another passage. We are examining where Jesus is exalted and how God's at work. We know and are coming to understand our own hearts. We are meditating on scripture on a regular basis. We read current events, not so that we, with both eyes, so we can become obsessed. We read that and then go back to the scriptures and we remind one another, there's hope. So if there's still trouble in the headlines, this we know for sure, God's not done yet. He's gonna set all things, all things as they should be. We believe God's word. The Lord will do this. And that means you don't have to do this. He will do it. And lastly, we hope in God's grace, hope. Hope is a growing confidence that God is at work for our good according to his promises and prophecies. Let me say that again. Hope is a growing confidence that God is at work for our good in the future according to his promises and prophecies. Hope helps us interpret the headlines. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to worry, not about international or national or local or even personal headlines. So have you, I know I'll say this from time to time and people give me a hard time about it, but I just reckon yourself dead. Do you know that one day you're going to hear, John died, he's dead. And you and I need to live as if that's a very real possibility. The future is not full of promises that I will be uh, saved from trouble. It's not full of promises that I will live 
in this body forever. It's not full of promises for my well-being. The reality is God brought his people through years of trouble. And the reality is all of us are going to face struggles and troubles tomorrow. Personal headlines we do not like. We come back to these prophecies and say, okay, well, two things I know. Number one, God is good. And number two, if I am still struggling with great trouble and turmoil in my life, he's not done yet. He's not done yet. Hope is confidence that God is at work in my future, that God will be proven completely true and right and loving, that God will do things that are shocking and amazing and even impossible. God will do those things according to the prophecies that he has put forth for us. In Zechariah 12, 13 and 14 describe broken and difficult times, external troubles, wars and rumors of wars, and internal troubles, rejection and false prophets, and God will smooth the way externally and internally for his people, and the whole world is going to see that God always keeps his word. God will protect and deliver the house of David. God will protect and deliver you and me forever according to his word. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we need you. When we leave here, we will hear, as we check our headlines, what is happening in the Middle East with regard to Hamas and Israel and a hostage deal. When we leave here, we will hear other headlines around the world that are troubling and difficult. But Father, we read those headlines and our own lives headlines with hope. You are good and you are at work. And I pray you draw us, magnetize, magnetize us, bring us into your word. Help us trust your word, know your word, think about your word. Help us, Lord, not be led astray by prophets who in this day and age would, would play a part, would say a part of a message, would show power and strength and live lives of opulence and luxury that would make some people think that your pleasure and your, uh, your favor must be on them. But Lord, the message is about this. What about Jesus? Jesus is our hope. You have opened for us a fountain who is Jesus Christ. And we look to him and him alone. And thank you, Lord, on that day, you will open the fountain and the people of Israel will drink. So dismiss us from this place with your blessing on us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.